Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. This is The Baseline, discussing the hot-button topics of the NBA. Welcome, everybody. You're tuned to The Baseline. Cali Warnshaw discussing the hot-button topics of the NBA. A little over 50 games in the NBA season, so that means we're just around that way. We're about a handful of games left to go. And if people have been paying attention to the season, you can clearly start to see, you know, the smoke clear away and roles are being defined. Who's going to be the top dog in the East? Who's going to be the top dogs in the West? It's kind of getting to that point. And I think now it just comes down to who wants to get in or who wants to start their vacation time early. But there's so much more that's going on in the NBA other than what the guys are doing on the basketball court. And that's why we're here to discuss those things. So let me go and roll out the red carpet to my right-hand man, www.shawsports.net, Big Kahuna PNC, my brother from another mother, Mr. Warren Shaw, repping out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Holler back at me, Mr. Shaw. I know the cats out there, the kids out there are wilding out for spring break and all that stuff. But the good part is you can always stay at home and watch NBA basketball. Always, right? So stay away from the madness out there. Although things are opening up, vaccines are pretty much readily available for, for most age groups right now, which is definitely in the state of Florida. I guess I shouldn't speak for other states that I don't necessarily know about. But things yeah, they finally they the- finally felt that my 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 uh worthless black behind was not, you know, is 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 at least worthy enough to get access to the vaccine. So I, I, I can yeah, yeah. I can get certainly there, appreciate, bro. you know, this American rescue plan suddenly had my best intentions in mind. Thank you guys. I appreciate that. It's wild. So maybe we'll start to see some, you know, I know we're kind of tongue in cheek in here, but maybe we'll start to see some difference in the commercials. You know, I think I've seen, you know, Bill Russell and Greg Popovich, you know, some relatively older gentlemen than us, you know, kind of, you know, Uh, vying for the vaccine. So maybe they'll start to lower that age group in terms of celebrities who they try to convince people to go out there and get that. So again, like I said, whatever your beliefs are, you know, just stay safe out there, you know, and keep the NBA basketball. Well, let me on, tell on, you on this your though, Shaw. I'm going to tell you this because I feel some kind of way about it. I'm feeling a little salty. I believe that our podcast has been an essential product to help people get through the pandemic. Thus, we should have been considered essential workers. Thus, we should have been moved up the line to get access to this vaccination so that we can continue to keep doing what we do best, which is hover in two rooms and be on a microphone spouting all kind of basketball foolishness to continue to keep people uh, calm and about themselves during these troubling times. I'm feeling a little salty because I just don't feel like government had my back in that in that effort, man. And, and you know, again, I got to got to go out wow. there and I got to do my 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 best uh was it John Henry impression, man. I got to go do that work on my own for me to get access to this vaccine. And I'm not going to tell you the illegal shit that I had to do to do it, but I'm just saying, a brother had to go and put in that work in order to get access to the vaccine. Talk to me. 
well, I mean, I mean, this is one of those righteous congressmen situations. So we'll see what it looks like. I think for us, as you know, as we state claims, you know, to uh, helping the, helping for those through the pandemic, the NBA players themselves didn't want to quote unquote skip the line. So you know, we got to see where we line, you know, where we fall in line with that, you know, with the with the with the growing public out there. But I like I like I like where you're going with it. Man. Oh, absolutely. Listen, we've got a lot to get into um, in this week's episode of the Baseline NBA Podcast. And as always, we continue to appreciate those who've been listening to us for the longest and those who are new on board. So wherever you are, however you're listening to us, welcome. And we're rolling out the red carpet for you guys. Um, as always, get my man Shaw at Shaw Sports NBA. Or get at me at Game Face Lead. The show's Twitter handle at NBA Baseline. Available on all the major platforms. You know where to find us. Just look for the baseline. Add us to your playlist and allow us to be your go-to resource discussing all things happening in the association. You can listen to all of our, even this episode and previous episodes, if you go to www.thebaselinemba.com. You can catch us exclusively uh, on Tuesdays, 1 p.m. on Dash Radio. So be sure to continue to check us out on all these different platforms, apparatuses, in order to listen to good basketball content. Now, we got a lot of basketball stuff to get into, but Shaw, I do want to get your perspective and your take on what I considerably thought was probably one of the greatest college basketball games that I've seen in a very long time between uh, between Gonzaga and UCLA. We ain't talking about the NC Championship game because that pretty much was just trash. But I can honestly say to you, man, that was about as good as pure of college basketball play that I've seen in such a long time. Kudos to UCLA and Gonzaga bringing it uh, that game this weekend, man. It was a hell of a game to watch. It was definitely one of the best. And it's not even trying to go through like a recency bias type of situation. Like game was just damn good. And I'll be I'll keep it a buck. I mean, I wasn't watching the whole first half. And then you, know, you just kind of started seeing some tweets and people kind of going wild on the timeline. I was like, you know, I was doing the family thing a little bit. And I was like, well, hold on. Let me see what's going on here. So for like the last nine minutes and obviously the OT and everything like that too, like, yeah, I had to tune in. And I said, yo, they were just kind of going back and forth. And I was doing some quick Google searching. I was like, well, who's this guy? <laughs> you know what I mean? And looking up what like Timmy has been doing kind of throughout the course of the season as, you know, I, I made no bones about it. I'm not a big college basketball guy. Once they become NBA people, then I'm all about it. So that was a great, great, great basketball game. And the NCAA um, while they did have their issues with versus the men in the women's tournament and the accommodations and all of those things in general, um, I think the tournament provided a lot of excitement and success for the NCAA in general for what it was able to do because the competition, especially seeing a team like UCLA almost reach the championship game. It, again, it, it was it was amazing to watch. Great, great, great stuff. Yeah, I felt bad for Gonzaga because for the kind of effort that they put in that game against UCLA to get themselves to the championship game. And then, you know, to not have it against a team like Baylor, while albeit a lot of people just felt like if, you know, Gonzaga got through UCLA in such compelling and, and classic NBA uh, and college basketball fashion, uh, they should have figured out a way to, to, you know, to be able to go toe-to-toe against that Baylor team. But Baylor just proved that they just seem to have been the more talented basketball team, period, point blank. Um, I, I do think that this is what college basketball has definitely needed. It has been under a lot of scrutiny over the last few years. You're literally just profiting off of the March Madness hype, but really not delivering the goods as it as it per se means in the quality of competition, the teams that are being matched up and, and really going through the whole gamut 
of the March Madness frenzy. Now, I will say this, though. Uh, big ups to teams like Oral Roberts and, and big up to teams like Rutgers and those. They really highlighted and profiled the necessity of making sure there's a level of inclusiveness in competitive sports when it comes to college basketball. And big up to the student athletes because without them and their dedication to go through this while the pandemic is still going on and to compete at such a high level, regardless of the ratings and who's covering it and things of that nature, um, we would not have been able to appreciate the purity of March Madness. Um, and now big up to Baylor and also big up to Stanford, who have won their, their respective college basketball championships, the Stanford women's basketball team and the men's Baylor basketball team. Baylor winning their first championship, Stanford not winning since 1992. I just think it all around, no matter what would have happened, whether it had been um, you know, the opposing teams winning or whatever, it still would have been a good sign that college basketball won out in the end simply because of the way everything kind of played itself out. Yeah, I think that's very well said. So, yeah, as you alluded to, shout out to those two programs and organizations for, for, for getting it done, you know, in what was a very competitive and exciting time for, you know, March Madness. All right. Now, I got to ask you this question, Shaw, because this is actually the first thing that we're going to talk about in our news and notes. And then later on, we're going to talk about the Lakers and the Nets and why we might be a little bit concerned about where both of these two top conference teams may wind up being when it comes to getting playoff ready or actually competing in the playoffs i don't understand for the life of me with everything that was going on in college basketball that the focus and attention was on our man paul pierce and the buffoonery he was committing losing his job at espn due to quote unquote his the time of his life <laughs> right on instagram with a bunch of strippers I can't call it. I don't understand the logic, man. Like, basketball over booty all the day, all day, every day. You know what I'm saying? What was Paul Pierce thinking, man? He wasn't. So uh, there's a lot. I mean, if you search so social media, there's just so oh, are, many memes. They are lighting his ass <laughs> up so it's bad. So many I mean, jokes. Truth, it's, truth be told. <laughs> right? Truth be told. Yeah, he uh, hit that truth serum for real. And, and the wildest thing is, like, when you do some even just minor digging, like, I guess it was – it was on or the night of his son's birthday. So his Instagram post earlier that day was happy birthday to his eight-year-old son, I believe it was. So then, and the night and time was comes like, out. happy birthday to me. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> My dude is wilding and yo, what's up, Monica? You can get some money too. Like, what are we doing, P? It's, that's a wild dude, man. That's, that's, you know, an LA guy going out there and maybe he didn't give a damn about his ESPN contract. Uh, Cause they were like, yeah, thanks. No, thanks. That is not the, the type of behavior that we'll be exhibiting here at the Disney corporation of ESPN and uh, Paul Pierce is on his way. And he's since come out and said, Hey, he's on to bigger and better things. So I'm sure he's going to probably launch his own media company or site or something. That in itself was, I, I was going to laugh when he said that I'm on to bigger and better things. I was like, I don't know if you got any bigger than what you have displaying on your Instagram live posts right now, Ooh. brother. but, le but let me, but I'm going to, I'm going to say this because you know, there, there is going to come a point. I'm not saying that that Paul Pierce deserved to have kept his job or anything like that. ESPN um, has their protocols and they have their policies and rules. So I'm completely on board with that. I, I do wonder, though, sometimes, you know, I don't, I'm not and I want to use the cliches of these things called cancel culture or whatever the case may be. I do wonder sometimes, though, in the height and in the moment of, of where we are. Um, even as a society, 
can we honestly say that a media mogul like ESPN has been consistent when it comes to its hiring and firing? Because I'll be honest with you. I have seen good people who I think still deserve to work at ESPN, if they still wanted to, who still deserve to work at ESPN, who have been let go to me for situations that, I mean, if you can equate to a, a lapse in judgment or a lapse in, 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 in whatever, if you want to call it, but later on find out that there was actually some truth to the things that they were talking about because it was more of a social and, 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 a, and a, a societal reckoning, then we're sitting here focusing the attention on, you know, a guy just basically pulling a Greg Anthony right now on a major network. I, I, to me, it just speaks, again, how sometimes we, we miss the market you know, with, with our perception about how certain things need to be addressed and communicated to so that it isn't become a folly of errors. Because, again, this becomes – you could take this in a way, Sean, say, all right, another brother getting let go on ESPN because he's doing his own thing, right, that isn't, quote-unquote, conducive, conducive to the ESPN culture who seems to think that what they do is the trend or kind of sets the tenor of everything else that goes on in the communications world. I mean, what it boils down to is just our culture in general is, you know, when it comes to like the party lifestyle or things of like that nature, it's like, I right, do it, but don't let people see you doing it. And is Paul Pierce the only person, player, ESPN personality right. who has like strippers the at, at his no, or her exactly. house? And ESPN <laughs> has done a, a hell of a job to really, how do I put this? Cover up, right? To blanket to put a blanket over some of their big, big-name personalities who have been, I don't want to use the word alleged, because it, there's, been, there's been stories out there about things that have happened, you know, behind the closed doors of ESPN that have now been bantered about. And I'm not, I'm not calling out any names. It doesn't need to be said like that. But I'm just saying that, you know, ESPN, again, at times I just feel like just as it's easy for us to rag on a guy like Paul Pierce – I think we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that ESPN tends to put itself in its situation because they don't hold themselves to that kind of accountability with a level of consistency that doesn't make, say, black people questioning what they do when some of their white counterparts are out there doing nonsense like that. And they go in above and beyond to, to let this thing play itself out all the way to the end before they feel like they have no choice. Like when they start losing sponsorships or or when, you know, uh, certain uh, uh uh, government interference takes precedence and things of that nature. Then ESPN feels compelled that they have to make moves on something. They didn't waste any time with whatever Paul Pierce was doing. But again, I, 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 I'm leaving it to the whole point that when we're having this conversation, Shaw, do I feel bad that Paul Pierce loses his job? Not necessarily. But then again, I also don't completely give ESPN a total pass because the way that this went down, how quickly it went down, it just makes me again feel suspicious in how ESPN chooses to go through the necessary protocols required to say this is in our best interest to do this and we're doing this equitably amongst all of our you know employees that are a part of ESPN. I think part of it too is, you know, that he was clearly faded, right? You know, I mean it's one thing to be partying and like if you're partying and you're quote unquote sober. All right, maybe then you can come on air and maybe give an apology. But he was faded online and, you know, whatever. He was he was out there. And I think just the the perception of what his lifestyle may be, 
Um, you know, and I don't know. I think Pierce isn't Pierce married. I mean, I, I can't remember what what his overall situation is too. So if that's going on and you're a married dude, then there's some issues. There's some things that you have to. Apologize I know a lot of guys. That I think were, I know a lot of guys that were married that wound up at the players' club. Well, that's neither here nor there. But like, like, you know, keeping it (laughs) a buck, though, I think one of the things part of this situation, too, that's maybe it was kind of a offhand comment. I don't even know somebody in in the feed. And this dude only had 350 people on the live, you know, considering it's Paul Pierce is kind of pretty paltry. But somebody on the feed like, yo, where's Rachel Nichols at? And kind of berating her and disparaging, you know, one of ESPN's kind of anchor people and she is the jump right? right so her name gets lumped into this bs now as well too and she she had nothing to do with it right so i mean you can say whatever one and feel how you feel about rachel nichols but she had nothing to do with this behavior and then she was lumped into it so if you're searching paul pierce rachel nichols name also p- kind of popped up and you're like well why is she trending <laughs> you know she wasn't at it wasn't at the house doing whatever so i think in that way they also had to protect you know obviously one of their own somebody who was doing had right. nothing to do with it and it continues to do the right thing 100%. and is one of the faces of, of their of their network too so i think part of that had to do with rachel nichols being involved or being named totally 100 percent. now one last thing i'm going to say about this and we'll, we'll bounce because we got a lot of other stuff to cover in the nba but one last thing i'm going to say about this again i am not saying that paul pierce deserved to keep his job i i love paul pierce as a player man great boston celtic one of my favorite players to watch during my generation but as an individual who was giving his insight I felt like he, rep- he, he, he to me just represents a lot of people who have greatness and never really stay true to the greatness of what their game to translate to what they were trying to do um, in front of the camera. Uh, and, and that was my biggest problem with, with, with Paul Pierce. So if, if, if he, to me, was you know on his own volition, of his own foolishness, gets let go by a company like ESPN for that kind of nonsense, then that's on, that's on him. I do hope, though, he takes some opportunity and time to really work on what I think authentically should be the Paul Pierce that I respected when I saw him out there playing in the game because a lot of the stuff that I saw him doing on ESPN to me was was not reflective of somebody who I really think was a bit, was being an individual on his own. I think he played too much to the idea that he had to be this kind of guy in, in front of the, the camera, and I, and I just felt that a lot of the commentary he made wasn't authentic in itself. Now, that could be him, and if he gets on another network and starts doing that same kind of foolishness, I, I'm just going to remember Paul Pierce for being the Paul Pierce that was a great basketball player for the Boston Celtics. But I'm hoping that he kind of sobered, let's this moment kind of sober him up so that he really comes with it the second time around because you know how it is, man. When guys have a name and all they've got left is really what they they did on the basketball court and they're still trying to translate that stuff, you know, in front of cameras and everything and it doesn't work with a company like ESPN, it goes downhill from there, bro. Like, you ain't resurrecting up like that again. So I, that that's just my whole take. I don't want to see a guy like Paul Pierce who I felt like he could have tr- made that, trans- that, 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 that transition to this type of side of the media thing with his knowledge of the game and everything like that, without it being buffoonery, antic-like, and, and, and really trying to be the antagonist for every single thing going on, trying to make controversial comments, just call the game, man, and, and be real like that. And that's what I'm hoping to see on the next version of Paul Pierce. Well said. Let All right. Know. Now, let's talk Golden State Warriors. Um, Steph Curry has finally came out of his, like, meditated bubble because he seems to have been a pretty calm and laid back person through the course of what really feels like and it seems like is a frustrating season for the Golden State Warriors 
Warriors right now are four games under 500 as we're recording this show. Um, and he has obviously expressed his frustration of how the Warriors are losing and 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 what it's going to take for them to to turn things around. Does it does it is it does it surprise you, Shaw, that we're actually seeing this version of a Steph Curry coming out and and saying something, or is this kind of like, uh, all right, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop? Um, it's a little surprising, you know, but I mean, he's been noticed or not noticed. He's been proclaimed as one of the better leaders in the NBA for, for a little while now. You know, the fact that Durant, who for all intents and purposes, a better overall player than Curry is, wasn't able to come there and capture that team, uh, says a lot about Steph Curry and his standing in Golden State. So I think his message is to the rest of the roster. It is to management as well. You know, he may not feel like some guys are out there playing as hard or playing as hard as they potentially could be, maybe looking for their own stats a little bit in in some aspects. And, you know, this is a proud franchise. He's a three-time champion, and, you know, he wants to be a champion again and hopes. But Clay coming back next year is not going to just fix that. There's, you know, some pieces here that that don't necessarily fit, um, and they're going to have to figure some things out. And I think they just wonder right now he wants to at least maybe have a good showing and at least get into the playoffs where maybe anything can happen. You can get hot and carry carry them through a playoff series, uh, but they they still claim proclaim to be championships on their mind. Now, we all know that's not realistic for this year, but going back into the lottery for a second straight year after what happened last season, you know that starts to change the narrative of, of your culture. And I'm sure he's looking at it from that aspect. He doesn't want that to start sinking in, especially if some of these guys are going to be holdovers and be here you know, for years to come. So I was... Um... Checking, I follow Jim Park. I think you follow him as well too. He he represents Sheridan Block, and I mean, my man, our man Park, man, he has been riding the 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 Warriors, um, like <laughs> I'm talking like the Lone Ranger, be on his horse riding him like almost to the ground, right? Like he he completely um is just totally dissatisfied with. With Kerr, he believes that Steve Kerr probably should no longer has, has shouldn't been the coach after 2016. Um, he's felt that the offense um, that the that the Warriors have been playing have been like just been trash. Um, that they're that that Kerr and management have been wasting the talents of Curry and Dre, especially with the season. That the mistake of them drafting Wiseman is is coming to roost, so to speak. And before I was just like, damn boy, Park is just you know, getting in on, on, on the Warriors. Like this, this feels a little harsh because I mean, they're at least a 500 team and they still, you know, they don't even have Clay Thompson, but it does make me wonder though, Shaw, you know, we had kind of touched upon this. Do we need to really start looking at, you know, Steve Kerr? Do we need to start looking at the, 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 the relationship um, between Curry and Dre uh, forget Thompson for a moment. I understand that Thompson is a really important piece, but is this season also exposing a lot of things that I think maybe is the overall picture that what Park is highlighting is Thompson's not going to fix this issue come next year when he's actually fully healthy, ready to go. Like this Warriors team really does not look like a Warriors team even if they're at full tilt, that's going to be able to compete at a level that we're now seeing some of these other teams that are built and are still building going to look like come for 2022. And so I'm just wondering if we're going to get to that stage of questioning, hey, is the breakup party coming soon? Um, I don't think for their core, right? I, I think what you're going to see is 
the Wiggins and the Ubers of the world, you know, they be be try to be flipped for whatever they can get. Uh, and I honestly don't think, while I know what I just said earlier is is, is about the Warriors' culture, and they don't want to be in the lottery two years in a row. Going into the lottery this year isn't a bad thing with the, with the way the draft is set up. Like it's just not. And you can maybe right the wrongs of not drafting Lamelo <laughs> um, by you know getting somebody really good this year in, in this year's draft. Like that's that's a realistic possibility, right? So um, I do think you're going to see the core of Clay and Draymond and Curry stay together uh, with Wiseman now being added to that. If he just can't give up on that piece. Uh, but those, those pieces on the edges, you know, I just, you know, no, none of them are here for the long haul. And I think that's where you're going to see, you know, the Warriors make some changes. All right. All right. Let's go ahead and, and focus our attention now on a few signings. Um, we'll run these uh, a few in an order here. Um, Isaiah Thomas, he's found a home, uh, inked a 10 day contract with the new Orleans Pelicans, Demarcus cousins, He's also inked a 10-day contract with the Los Angeles Clippers. Dwayne Dedman, he is re-signed with the Heat. I think this is like the fifth time now. And uh, Ben McLemore. first time with my Heat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, it just feels like the fifth. Uh, and Ben McLemore, he signed with the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, I know this that's his, that's probably his first. He, he, he tried to get there the first time, but he wound up in Sacramento, right? Okay. <laughs> All right, Shaw. So, obviously, these are some, some – some, some, well, we can say that they're important signings. They could potentially be um, – important uh acquisitions on the roster should these guys stay on which one really sticks out at you as saying okay hey these guys this is a good get for them they certainly need it or all of them is a good get for them they're all good chances right i mean (laughs) you almost stumbled when you were gonna say that too you're like Chances. All right, we'll do it. We'll t- chances. Yeah. Okay. I mean, IT and Cousins, they're on 10 days. So, you know, it's funny you said, you know, new home. Eh, it's more like hotel stays. We'll, we'll see how it rocks. <laughs> yeah, right. And I think and we'll leave the light IT, on for you. Okay. <laughs> and with IT, we really don't know because Lonzo was hurt and now has come back. So it's like, all right, well, the trade deadline has passed. So with Kira Lewis also being there and somebody who they want to play and give minutes to at that point guard position is like, all right, IT really just is kind of a third guard type thing. So maybe it's an audition for him to me to get to another 10 day with somebody else. Cousins makes some sense. You want to see if there's anything left in the tank for him, um, especially because the, the Clippers could use just overall talent and some, some other ideas of play creation. Remember Rondo is also there now too. So somebody who Cousins has a relationship with, so you can maybe try to build on that. Can, can I Denman, say something real quick on ahead. that though, Shaw? Can I say something? Real- okay. So, I got to tell you, I, I, I'm giving, I'm giving Balmer, um, and 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 the management a ton of credit for like I guess really, they're 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 like trying to go Van Gogh with the, <laughs> with this roster right like any and it can, every conceivable way you could think of to your point offensive creativity they're going all out okay to go from Rondo to Cousins. Right. And yes, I know that there is a relationship there, but I'm just saying that dynamic in itself is so far from removed from uh, Leonard and George and Beverly. Right. Like they are trying to cover all their bases in figuring out how they can be offensively consistent when the time comes, because it's clear to the Clippers that they want to leave nothing to chance. That if there is something that they can find, if there's something Lou can find when they get to the playoffs, that's going to keep them offensively in the know, offensively in the stay against teams like the Nuggets and teams like the Lakers and so forth and so on. I think that, you know, I give them credit for at least that part of it. Whether it works or not, I have no idea, but I give them credit for at least them kind of 
covering the, 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 the whole spam of the offensive repertoire that the NBA has to offer through its individual players. It's a good point because Kawhi and Paul George end up having to do a lot of playmaking or just isolating and going themselves. And, you know, that that turned out to be an issue. Pat Beverly is not a play creator, right? So, you know, with him in starting lineup, when he if when well, when he comes back from his injury, um, and assuming he resumes the starting position, like that's just not somebody who's gonna do that for you. So you allow Rondo to take a lot of pressure off of that. And if you end up keeping cousins, he can do some of that too, especially at the elbows. And he's, you know, he's a very good passer, even still while being a little bit hobbled. So yeah, I like what the Clippers are doing there and giving Cousins a chance. We'll see how it works out. Um, Denman signing is really just Miami saying, all right, well, we missed on all the buyout guys we thought we were going to be able to get. Uh, and we really want to shore up that center position. So Denman has extended his range out to three. That definitely fits Miami's system. You know, he's a good rebounder and a decent shot blocker as well. You know, a hard nose. So I think he can fit right in with Miami. You know, I don't know how many minutes he'll get, but it's a nice backup to have. And Macklemore coming in with the Lakers, just some some extra shooting. And they're and they're mashed up right now, right? And so we'll talk about the Lakers a little bit later and what Macklemore can mean. So overall, I think the biggest actual addition is probably Deadman simply because, well, he's probably going to stay and he's probably going to play at least a little bit. Everybody else, we got to wait and see, you know, what the minutes look like. All right. Coming up, we're going to speak a little bit about small market fallout over the buyout market. I know Shaw has got a little bit to say, so we're going to give him the soapbox so he can uh, basically let the let, let the NBA know from the rooftops what's going really what's really going on. And uh, then we will definitely get into our breakdown conversation regarding the Lakers and the Nets. Are the injuries cause for concern? Is that run for the Lakers to get that title number two in two years in jeopardy? The Brooklyn Nets putting it all together. Will everybody be fully healthy in time for them to make this unprecedented run? We'll talk about all of this in a little bit here on The Baseline. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit This is The Baseline. Callie Warnshaw discussing the hot-button topics of the NBA. Continuing on with our news and notes, my man Shaw, um, you have... Basically set a pretty good topic real quick for us to get into. Small market fallout over the buyout market. So where are you with that? I I believe that there is definitely some fallout when we see some of these guys who are being bought out, guys like Andre Drummond, Blake Griffin, all of them just, hey, I'm just going to go and sign with the team that has got the, the, the least passive resistance to get me as close to an NBA Finals as possible. Um and it just, to me, it just really diminishes the quality of competition where there are some other teams that clearly could use their talents uh, and really help bolster some really good ratings for some uh, playoff basketball for a second round, possibly. And that, you know, just, it, to me, it just it seems like that that's not what's going to happen if this is continuing to be the trend when, you know, guys get bought out by small markets um, and go sign for all of these, you know, major teams that have already are stacked with ta with the talent and uh, uh you know championship aspirations i mean for the buyout guys they're here's where it's at like they've been sitting home you know away from the teams not wanted and feeling spurned by their you know their 
assigned roster, right? And now they get a chance to be free and hey, they're going to go where they want to go. Um, I think where the the fallout comes in is like, well, small market teams like, well, why is everybody going to the Lakers? Why is everybody going to the Nets? Well, I mean, if you wanted them that bad, make a trade. <laughs> I mean, seriously. And and that's why I can't I can't really subscribe to what the crying has become over, I guess, over some of the small market teams that didn't get some of these guys. You know, and I think they go to these new roles and these new positions to to, uh, you know, to, to be auxiliary parts and they won't have to do a whole lot. And then maybe to prove themselves so that they can be worthy of a contract for maybe another two or three year extension, so to speak. So um, while I personally would have loved to seen certain guys maybe go some other places, I'll, I'll I mean, I'll even you mentioned Andre Drummond. I would have loved to see him go to Charlotte just because like what what Charlotte was doing. You know, now they're dealing with more more injuries, as we'll get into a little bit later on. But had they been able to get him or had he chose to go there, so to speak, you know, his role would be even greater now. And he could have propelled a surprising Hornets team even a little bit further. Right. But mm-hmm. he's always wanted to play with LeBron. So, <laughs> you know, he went to L.A. And uh, I can't fault the player for, for that for that situation. So for me, these guys were available. The, their owning teams, if you will, were like, hey, well, we'd like to trade these guys first. But everyone decided, oh, we'll wait to the bottom market, see if we can get him on the cheap. Well, you take a gamble, and that's what ends up happening. Sometimes you get burned, and you get spurned. And that's what ended up happening with some of these small market guys. They went to the to the, to the team where they're going to give them the best chance to win a championship in their own opinions. I, I hear where you're coming from. I'm not saying that, you know, if you are, you know, say, like, for example, like the Boston Celtics, you're not willing to give up a ton so, you know, you, you decide to wait and see what that player decides to do. Um, and he chooses to go, you know, to the Lakers. That, hey, that, that's great. I think where I have the problem with it is, like, you know, look, the, the Nets already have two, three power forwards. Blake Griffin goes and signs with the Brooklyn Nets, right? Like, and then even still... I'm a little skeptical about Steve Nash and how he's going to utilize Blake Griffin to, to that, to, you know, to the, that type of capacity. Um, I, I just feel like, to me, it does harm to teams that I really do think need a quality player, and it it, it just it just kind of sucks in a sense because let me ask you this question: Do we actually know? what those teams were offering were asking for even if even if let's say there were two or three other teams in 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 you know in um bidding for that particular player that what they were asking for is so like way over the value of what that player really should represent obviously the money involved that it's just like does it really even make sense to even do that at the you know at the cost or the risk and I'm speaking about this because whether you're a small market team or a big market team, I do think sometimes what, what the ask is, is it is literally outlandish. Even if you know that that team is planning to buy that dude out and leave him sitting at home, right? I, I just yeah. think, shouldn't you think that there is a precedent that has to be set? That like If you're the Brooklyn Nets and you're the Los Angeles Lakers, and unless there is an injury that has severely impacted the roles of that team, I mean severely impacted them, then to say that they should have access to those to, 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 to you know to these type of players I don't know man it just it just rubs me the wrong way it just does because no, because now we're really think, missing out when we're seeing guys like Drummond and and and, and Griffin yeah they were in primetime television they were in primetime television playing with teams that already are number one in the conferences and 
you know. Well, they have to make those decisions, right? They and their agency decide, well, we're going to go here and and we'll figure out what the playing time is going to look like. And, hey, we're going to be champions or we might be champions as a result of it. Or at least maybe get a chance at the finals. I think the <laughs> the real malpractice here is the owning team originally. So now you've bought this person out and really have gotten nothing for it. So lower your effing asking price. You know, if, if, if some of the team, the teams that had these guys originally, you know, if they're worried about competitive balance and like, hey, you don't want this player to go to the Lakers or to the Nets or whatever the case may be, well, don't ask for four first-round picks for Andre Drummond. I'm not saying that's what the asking price is, but you know what I mean? Like, I what are we talking you. about? Look, look what Oladipo went for. So there's a there's a median. And remember when Andre Drummond got traded initially to, to to Cleveland, we were like, what? Like it was basically a player in a bag of chips. Like, what are you talking? Like, so I don't understand what how Cleveland then thought they could maybe flip that into even something more. Um, there's I don't know. There's a certain level of negotiation and maybe in some ways even greed with some of some of the teams to begin with. But if you're worried, like I said, worried about the competitive balance, then just, you know, negotiate within good faith, because if you're going to end up buying the guy out anyway, then. What did you gain? Well, and, 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 that's the and part I, I think don't understand. I, th- I think that to me, th- there's so many caveats to that part of it, right? Because I'm, what I'm not saying is help the little guy out. It to me, it's not that. I I think the NBA is one of the unique sports of all of the major sports where even in small market, you could be a successful franchise. Okay, we've seen this with Memphis. We've seen this with San Antonio. We've seen this with Golden State. Like, people don't remember. Golden State, when you really think about it, in the throes of being in Los Angeles and being with um, Sacramento and being with even the Clippers. I mean, the Clippers were more popular than the Golden State Warriors, you know, for some 20, 30 years, and the Clippers have been the worst of the worst franchises, right? But even Golden State has figured out a way in what was considered a small market to play in a, on a level that's considered major market, right? And I'm just saying that here we go again with another aspect to the way things normally happen when it comes to players and buyouts and even trades and things of that nature, where we're, we're diminishing the value of having competition when it comes to the end for the third part of the season, right? There's the beginning, there's tip-off, there's, you know, after the all-star break, and then there's the playoffs. And I feel like we 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 compromise the playoff aspect of things when we see these type of moves take place. Because then people are gonna like, oh, I don't give a damn about the first round. Look at what freaking roster is gonna be coming up. Who's coming? Who in the eighth seed? is going to come in and play what this roster has to represent. Because we've never really ever seen an 8 seed knock out a first seed, right? And it's because of situations like this. Like the the deck, is, the deck is almost completely stacked. When we see these type of moves being made, it takes away from the enthusiasm of getting ready to go into the playoffs and seeing how these matchups tend to play themselves. And that that's where my take was on that. No, I understand that. Well, shout out to the Kembe's Nuggets, you know, who, who did upset, you know, the number one seed many, many years ago. But in general, you know, your point is extremely well taken. And I, I think, you know, where we may differ is just like, again, I put the onus on the team uh, that had the player to begin with, because once you decide to buy them out, it's up to them to do whatever they decide they want to do. And while we may want them to go somewhere where they can create a level of competitiveness throughout the league, it doesn't matter. They're looking for championships and, you know, looking for ways to boost their, their overall resume and rings do that. All right. All right, Shaw. So let's quickly get into a couple of um, injury reports. Um, Malik Beasley expected to be gone four to six weeks. Kyle Lowry has been expected to be gone for two weeks. I know um, this is retro to him being out uh, a week ago. John Collins is still going to be out for at least another week uh, for the Atlanta Hawks. And Gordon Hayward, he's going to be out for at least a month. So when we're talking about Beasley, Lowry, Collins, Hayward, 
who of these guys um, is teams that are going to be impacted the most by the loss? It's it's Hayward and Charlotte for sure. Uh, he was, you know, I think he was top twenty, top thirty in terms of minutes played. Uh, was having a fantastic season. You know, Celtics fans are like, you know, f this guy hasn't been hurt all year. Well, here it is. So right now, as Charlotte was starting to really rise, the Hornets were sitting at four. Um, you know, at, at one point before Hayward's injury. And now, with as volatile as the East is, they have got to try to contend without Hayward. They already lost Lamelo um, as well, and they've got to try to tread water and, and stay within above that that playing line, uh, which it looked like they might have been able to do had he stayed healthy. So, you know, shouts to Rogier and Graham and Bridges is and, and Washington. Like those guys have really got to step it up, step it up right now. Borrego's done a great job coaching, but Hayward's injury means the most because it can be the most impactful for them because he's going to be out for so long. Yeah, I agree with you because after Lamelo Ball. Like, you know, this this was Gordon Hayward's opportunity to really kind of plug in a lot of the holes that I think you were getting from what LaMelo Ball was kind of setting the tone for, right? And I think it helped guys like Rozier and Graham, all of them to kind of fall back and, and, and play roles that I think were very critical, not just for the team, but also for their own careers as well, too. So the fact that now you lose two guys who I really think has helped uh, enable this uh, Charlotte Hornets team to be a better team offensively, like be more effectively and efficient offensively. I think now this team is going to really suffer on that. And I don't know how much confidence you can lean on whether or not they're going to step up and play better defense. But I'm just saying that like part of that to me really, really hits home. I think the John Collins to me really sticks out more than anything. If you really look at the Atlanta Hawks, this is a team that is, I think is, is, is really – is 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 in somewhere finding themselves in a groove and I and I would hate to see that John Collins gets lost in that when he does return. I think the more time that he's away from what's going on right now in Atlanta and what Nate's doing for that team is it's it's speaking to me where you have a key player who's kind of in this transition. He was being bantered about in possible trade talks. Now you're asking him to be ready to go because this team is actually in its position to be competing for the playoffs. You want to make sure that this guy is going to be there in time with enough games to play before the playoffs uh, kick in and kick into gear where he's going to fit in and how important he's going to be to Trey Young. Not to say that him and Trey Young don't have something. It's just that it's been so topsy-turvy with these. You can't really rely on saying that they've got a tandem that's effective, especially if he's not going to be 100% coming into this upcoming playoffs with what Atlanta has been doing while he's been gone. Uh, I, I, I agree with the assessment. It's just that, you know, it, it should be a shorter injury, hopefully. And Atlanta is built, in theory, better than Charlotte is with the amount of depth and all the move they made this year. So, you know, they've had Reddish is out now. Currently, Hunter is coming back or might be nicked up again. But now Gallo is back and Bogdanovich is back as well, too, and playing well. So they have the ability to maybe shift some responsibilities, especially on the offensive side, to withstand it, especially if Collins is only going to be out a week as opposed to Hayden Hayward is going to be out for a month. Um, and it just like I said they're just they're just two different situations. But, you know, I, the point, again, is extremely well taken because Collins was balling. He was hooping. Um, and you hate to see him go out at the height of that, too, as Atlanta was definitely hitting a stride. All right. All right, Shaw. A lot of stuff. I told people we, we, we tried to warn them, man, but somehow we got through it. Right. They didn't need to buy us out in order for us to step up and get through all of the notes that were going in and, and, and news that's going on in the association, right? Like they, they're still sleeping on this, on the show. And then that's okay because we're going to continue to keep doing what we do coming up. We are then going to talk about the Lakers and the Nets injuries galore. Should you be concerned if you're a Lakers fan, Nets fan, is this going to damper any aspirations 
of what could possibly be a title one for the Lakers two times in a row or for the Nets first time and you know first for everything right well you'll find out where we are with this here on the baseline time to break it down, you down to the bone gristle. time now for the breakdown Cali Warren Shaw baseline and we are talking Lakers and Nets it's been a little bit you know it's been a while since we talked Lakers Shaw um, and we obviously, it's kind of hard not to talk about the Nets because the Nets just seem to be like in the middle of it all, like all season long, right? Like a, a trade here and a, a buyout acquisition here. And a, it, it's just, hey, the Nets just stay busy in the news. Like, I, I guess if they are adopting the, the New York Nick mantra, they're doing it and they're doing it well, like our man LL used to say, right? So... But when we're talking about where the Lakers and the Nets are going to fall um, into the scheme of things with expectations to win a championship, the injury bug seems to really be playing a big part for both of these teams, right? So clearly, um, Anthony Davis is has been back and forth. Le- uh, LeBron James obviously has been is injured, um, and you know obviously everybody's worried about that. We talk about the Brooklyn Nets, you know Kevin Durant. Um, Kyrie Irving has been injured at some point. Now James Harden has just recently been injured. And, you know, you have to start wondering that while when these guys are healthy, they're almost like unstoppable teams to deal with. The injury does play a part. And it it plays a part because you really don't know what you're going to get with everyone else if they know that their top stars are not going to be on the basketball court with them. And you just have to start wondering, Shaw, like when do these injuries start catching up with teams like the Nets and a team like the Los Angeles Lakers as the other teams, as long as they stay healthy, start to round themselves into form getting ready for the playoffs? I mean, that's the whole reason we're talking about it, right? We, we discussed on the trade deadline edition of our show where some teams are taking swings because they feel like, hey, there might be a chance here. There's yeah, there's blood, blood in the blood water. In the water. And, you know, especially on the in the West, you know, with, with LeBron and AD, which I think they've been real kind of coy about what that injury is about, like totally what it's about. Drummond gets there, promptly injures his toe, so he's missed the last three games, like off rip. So even their additions are getting hurt, right? And like that's 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 scary. And I think with with Brooklyn, as you alluded to, KD is supposed to be due back this week. So by maybe the time the show airs, you know he might be back on the court. Kyrie in and out of the lineup for various reasons. Now Harden's going to be on the lineup himself. There's no there's no way to build continuity. And I think with both of these teams, and probably even more so with Brooklyn. There's just this hope that, all right, we'll just figure it out. At least the Lakers, LeBron and AD, they built their chemistry last year and won a championship with it. With the new parts that are that are there in L.A., you know, with Harrell um, well, and, and, and Dennis Schroeder, like can I throw all something? of that needs to get together. Really, go ahead. I was just going to throw something real quick. You can also add to that part about the Lakers winning that championship, Shaw, where Vogel can lean on guys who really, for the most part, stayed relatively healthy and ready to go when their star players weren't 100%. Because remember, LeBron James wasn't 100% a couple of times through the course of that that run. And Anthony Davis also suffered a couple of injuries where everybody's like, oh, you know, he said, even I was like that. Oh, if Anthony Davis is not 100%, I don't know if they're taking this game. And at least Vogel had guys ready to compete. The Kyle Kuzmas, uh, the Markeith Morrises. 
they had guys ready to play. And even though they weren't the ADs or LeBron Jameses, at least you had bodies on the floor that could at least maintain the team's competitive level. Yeah. And you, as the old Scalabrini line, I think it is your, your greatest ability is your availability. And if guys just cannot be on the floor, then, then what are we really building? So the Lakers hope to be able to turn it on. LeBron is LeBron, you know, Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis, you know, and then they'd hope that they'll be integrated Drummond. I think the biggest issue really here is on the Brooklyn side, because those three guys, when they played, yeah, they were dominant, especially offensively and, and had a lot of great greatness to them, but it's, I don't know. It's it's a little problematic when you can't keep everybody healthy, and I think that was the whole thing coming into you know the 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 Kyrie and KD kind of campaign anyway. Like both of those guys are or have been brittle and has have some injury history. Now Harden is getting into it as well too, unfortunately, and he's been pretty much durable for the majority of his career. So this is a concerning thing, I think. If 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 you're a Brooklyn, you know, and Steve Nash, you just want to make sure that these guys get back with enough time. And I understand you're going to play it safe, right? Uh, but how many games do you need before you feel like you can really get rolling? And then, you know, if, if these teams smell blood, you're going to get their best shot. So in the West, there are no real pushovers. And I think even in the, in the East, while I don't think the Celtics are particularly a very good team, but if that's the Celtics that you end up in a 2-7 or 1-8 matchup with and you're not 100%, Oh, maybe they could put shit together, you know what I mean, and, and give you all the hell you're looking for, or in Atlanta or, or Miami, especially with how four through ten right now was really kind of stacked up. So you just want to make sure that you know you're 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 good to go and that you have enough time to build the chemistry that's necessary to win an NBA championship. Well, it's interesting because when you bring up that point about you know where Brooklyn might be, and, and I'm not even thinking about first round matchups. I'm actually just thinking just you know can they run the gamut, right? Like, so that means you may eventually run into the Philadelphia 76ers or you may run into the Milwaukee Bucks. And if I had to, if if we had to talk about, you know, and, and you know, now the Miami Heat are actually starting to somewhat turn the corner. If we have to start talking about which of the teams that if I'm the Brooklyn Nets, I don't want any part of when it comes to the playoffs, I would subscribe to, you don't want any part of the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, if you've noticed, Shaw, hey, Giannis has been healthy. Drew Holiday, who's also been who's been prone to injuries, you know, over, you know, the course of his, his career, so to speak, um, has shown that he is a little bit more durable now playing with the guys that he's playing with. You know what I'm saying? He's got a max extension, too. Right, exactly. Like, I'm looking at this Milwaukee Bucks team as an example, right? And I'm saying... Well, why would I skip over the Philadelphia 76ers? Um, have we seen what's been happening with Joel Embiid right now? And if you're Doc Rivers, you know, listen, the road to them actually getting to an Eastern Conference Finals, even getting to the Finals, is is Joel Embiid playing at MVP level? Well, obviously, the question is, can he sustain doing that for an extended period? Can he sustain doing that for an extended series? We don't know that, right? And so I'm looking at these top two teams in the Eastern Conference, Brooklyn, Philly, and Hey, if they show signs of brittle or being brittle, do you, you use the terminology? Why wouldn't we not look at teams like the Milwaukee Bucks or the Miami Heat, who have shown that when they have their 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 squad and they are healthy at the right time, that teams like them are are good for the taking, right? And it just highlights to an even bigger point about the reliability on the superstar status, so to speak, right? Some of these teams no matter how good they look and how they're formed, they're entering uncharted territories. And sometimes you just totally skip out on 
well, what has made the Milwaukee Bucks the team that they are and, and, and as dangerous as they, as they can be? And it's to your point. When your star player is 100% and is locked in, eyes red, smell, and blood, he's going after the best of the best who may not be 100%. And putting them in vulnerable positions, putting the coaches in vulnerable positions. So it's just interesting to me, Shaw, because to your point, the Los Angeles Lakers in the West may have it a little bit easier because I don't think you'll ever question when the Lakers get to the playoffs and a LeBron James is on that squad, he will be ready to go. And he'll be ready to give you everything. I don't think we've ever tested the veracity of a LeBron James injury to the point where he can't go and all of a sudden all the hopes of the Lakers have been dashed away. But teams like the Brooklyn Nets... Teams like the Philadelphia 76ers. I can even go and uh, go out on a limb and say teams like the Los Angeles Clippers. Lose any one of your star players on those teams, and I don't see how you're talking about, oh, they'll be okay no matter what great players you add on to that roster because of the fact that they've not shown that they can do it on their own without their best players being at 100%. Yeah, I, I think the, the key here is – with the Lakers, will they just take the requisite time that's necessary to make sure they're right? They don't care about seeding. They feel like they can go in in anyone's court and, and get it done. And they're right. You know, Brooklyn may feel that way, but we haven't seen it. And we don't know that it to be true. Where they may have a slight leg up is that they are deep. And they did get LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin to play spot minutes. And they have three superstars instead of two. So they've been making it work with whatever two have been out there for, for quite some time right now. For the, for the latter part of the month, it's been Kyrie and, and Harden. Now it looks like it's going to be Kyrie and KD, which was supposed to be the original pairing to begin with, as Harden's going to miss some time. Um, but this is all very interesting, and that's why it's important to talk about, because I don't think we can just hand either one of these teams uh, a trip to the finals at this point. Right. Like we're not sure. Um, and again, these other teams feel like, Hey, they have a chance and they're going to take these swings. So we'll see while this plays out in the next month, you know, I know as we close up the season, you know, where are both the Lakers and Nets finish? Uh, if they're healthy, yes, they're, they're two best teams. It should mean the NBA finals, but even if one of them is nicked up, that leaves room for doubt. All right. So there's one other point I want to highlight to what you were just saying. And, and you brought up some really, really good points. It, it just popped in my head when I thought about this. You know, if Frank Vogel doesn't get the Los Angeles Lakers to the NBA Finals, that's okay. Frank Vogel is good, right? Frank Vogel is solid. He's gotten the Lakers to a point where people see the Lakers a lot differently with LeBron James and AD in a way that I thought a lot of people were kind of fooled by it, right? Because everyone assumed that this was a new showtime. And what Vogel is, is, is emphasized on is even at this stage of LeBron's career, if he can be able to give you a quarter of the defense that Anthony Davis demands from him, this team is as good defensively when it counts the most than most of the teams you're going to probably see competing in the Western Conference, right? Then, obviously, it comes down to, all right, will they be good enough to be whoever's coming out of the East? Have we seen anybody from the East showing that they can beat anyone from the West yet, right? Okay, so now let's talk about a team like the Brooklyn Nets when you have a coach like Steve Nash first year. The situations that we're talking about, Shaw, is going to have make you start wondering, like, hey, is Steve Nash – making the right calls is he making the right adjustments right we've seen in the western conference head coaches with a lot of cachet behind them not do what they should be doing making adjustments right when they see an opportunity i see somebody in there helping the team along and shine they just use them for that one game and you don't see them for the rest and things of that nature 
you know, not tinkering with, with things the way they should be tinkered with so that you have, you know, a little bit more variety in, in your options and what you're going to do against whoever you're opposed against in the rounds that you play against and everything like that. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with Steve Nash and how he guides this Brooklyn Nets team with the players and the personnel that Sean Marks has given him. Because if he doesn't play some of these guys with the whole intent that they're supposed to be there and to serve a purpose because of the idea that some of these guys are injured, it has to make you wonder how much confidence Steve Nash really does have in that roster and how much dependency he's going to really want to have on his star players knowing that they won't be 100%. Uh, they 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 got really good supplemental players though, and I think that's where the organization did the right job of surrounding Nash with veterans around him. You know, with Antonio specifically, Yudoka as well. You know, and they kept on Jacques Vaughn, so he's going to have the necessary input to help guide him in in these decisions as the playoffs roll around. But listen, you know, Nicholas Claxton is is playing really great basketball, and that's why some people are like, well, why'd you get Lamarcus? I mean, Claxton's balling for you. Like you're just going to take minutes away from that young guy who could be a Jared Allen like player for you at some point. Uh, Alizé Johnson, who they signed, you know, he, he played when I think everybody was out, you know, had some crazy double, double and he's stuck at the end of the bench. They more or less has defeated Deandre Jordan out of the, out of the rotation completely. So, you know, and people have their mixed feelings about Deandre as it is, but I mean, he's still a viable NBA player and at least in some aspects, he's definitely for spot minutes. Right. So they're extremely deep in, especially in the front court. And I, I think Nash is going to have the insight and the ability to make mistakes. If Brooklyn doesn't win the championship this year, but gets to the finals, or if they don't make the finals, he will have the, it's my first year with the first time we're all together. And while there'll be haters and there'll be memes and jokes and all that, they're not going to do anything to Nash, you know, initially. I mean, he would have to really, you know, shit the bed. <laughs> he would really, really have he to would, shit the but bed. I, I will say, though, <laughs> Shaw, I will say, though, that there will be an inner running theme, given, one, the way that Steve Nash was given this position, right? And, two, sure. that the idea is is that it's not that Sean Marks intentionally tried to, you know, put Steve Nash in this position, but it will give a little bit of that air um, in, you know, in the talking head space hey, man, he's in over his head. He doesn't know how to handle a roster like this. You get what I'm saying? No matter how great uh, how great an assistant coaching staff he's got behind him, you're going to start looking at, well, who in, out of that 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 bunch probably should be the one that is going to make that well, hard call. But, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm not saying to replace him. I'm just saying. How do you know you're handle, ready to handle a roster like this until you have a roster like this? And how long does it take I, you to get a handle on it? Right? I, so, I agree with you. I, what I'm saying, you know, Shaw, is is that it won't be avoided, right? Because it's what's going to be no, talked no. about. We did this to Budenholzer, right? We did. <laughs> were we not? He got he got the roster he wanted, and how many times has he's fallen short? Now we're talking about if he doesn't get this team to such and such place, and now look at what the kind of obstacles that he will have to do in order to get that team to the finals eventually. But what I'm just right, saying right. that it's not to say that Nash deserves it. But what I'm saying is, is that it will open the door for it based on some of the decision makes the decisions that he makes through the course of the playoffs with the kind of roster that he is given. Because unfortunately, in the NBA, these things happen very quickly, right? <laughs> Almost as quick as booty clapping in the face of Paul Pierce on an Instagram session, right? That's all that I'm saying. It can happen that very quickly for a guy like Steve Nash, who's really been given the keys to the Corvette. For, or for the Brooklyn Nets, with the Brooklyn Nets. That, to me, is something that could obviously happen very quickly in those space. And we can give him a pass. I'm not saying that he shouldn't get a pass, but it, it can happen very quickly.
No, well, like you said, there are expectations, and to say that <laughs> that there aren't would be would be lying. And there will be judgment if they don't get it done. But you know, imagine all the things that does happen if he does get it done, and the the kind of privilege he has to look down his bench and say, "Hey, uh, Lamarcus, get in there. Hey, uh, Blake, get in there." You know, where other teams would be just foaming at the mouth to have this level <laughs> the of coach can't on even the remember roster. dudes' names like. <laughs> you were just here. Oh man, we just brought you up this morning. I'm my bad. You did I give you? Did you get coffee? Did you get coffee after our uh, our, our, our morning session? Our morning Trust practice. Me. <laughs> I, I don't think Steve Clifford knows who's on his team right now, and I'm sure Mike, you know, dagging on OKC doesn't know who's on it. Like, who, who's that guy? <laughs> you get it? <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, Brooklyn is extremely talented. They have extremely recognizable names, and I think that's what part of the hubbub is about, especially in our earlier conversation when it comes to the bio market because they were able to get two big names to ink with them uh but we'll see the roles they play and how nash and his coaching staff decides to deploy and use these guys as the playoffs progress but hopefully everybody can be healthy and we will get a good playoff and hopefully nba finals final question for you shaw whose road to the finals will be the toughest lakers or the nets i i think it's going to be determined by seeding um so i think it could on its face, probably be the Lakers. You know, if they somehow end up in, I don't know, imagine they end up in some crap, like a four or five first round matchup with the Clippers or something like that. Like, yikes. If Denver <laughs> finds, find, I mean, not that they're scared, but it's just like, that's not something that they would be excited about. You know, um, if Denver continues to, to rise, they get to three and Utah and, and Phoenix stay where they're at at kind of one and two, you know, realistically, you could have the Clippers four or five Clippers Lakers four or five in the first round. Um, and then you, they, it only gets tougher from there because then you got to play this Utah Jazz team that for all intents and purposes right now is playing on all cylinders. I don't think the Lakers fear anybody. But on his face, they would have the hardest path, I think, in terms of the talent that they'd have to go through to get there. I will tell you this much, though. If the Lakers wind up playing the Clippers in the first round, I would say, all right, NBA, I'm not mad at you that just yet. <laughs> okay, we'll wait to see how this all plays itself out. Okay, we'll, we'll roll with this for now. But that, that would be a very interesting scenario and circumstance. Awesome show this week, Shaw. So much stuff that we, got, uh, we covered and went into. Um, you know, obviously, we spend a lot of extended conversations in regards to the situation with Paul Pierce. But I think just more overall, um, the, the, the health of the NBA space is in, is in a good place right now uh, because we still see a lot of competitive basketball being played. It kind of makes you wonder, like when a lot of people talk about the 82-game season, will knocking off 10 games down the road, you know, because if you really think about it, Brooklyn um, all the way down to a nine-seeded Indiana team, there's only 13 games in space between them, and the Indiana, uh, Indiana, New York are the only uh, below 500 teams by a game or t uh, a couple of games. And then out in the Western Conference, hey, 500 team is a ninth seeded team. So to me, it, it makes you feel good that com competitively, we're going to see a lot of this being played almost to the wire. Um, and I think recognizing how short an NBA season can be for them, like knocking off those 10 games, could play an intricate part of teams amping it up a little bit because now they're going to be starting, you know, playing with some desperate intent to try to get in uh, either to play in or to reseed themselves in a better circumstance or situation. Yeah, of all the variables that could have happened in this NBA season, it's interesting now, you know, at, at the top of the show, we were talking about all the injuries and like they're now, they're true injuries, right? Where we thought COVID would really be the impact and COVID did play its part in the beginning part. 
But now it's like the actual injuries that have us the most concerned about how these teams are going to finish out. So seeding and matchups are always, always key in all of this. And, you know, you just hope that we get the best that each team has to offer as the playoffs progress. Definitely. So once again, everybody, uh, we appreciate those hopping on board with us. We also appreciate even more so our new listeners. Again, be sure to check us out, www.thebaselinenba.com. Uh, be sure to check us out, man. We've got a lot of stuff happening in the hopper over the next couple of months, so you definitely want to stay tuned. We will keep you in the know of those things, so that obviously is an incentive for you to pick up and listen to the show. For The Baseline, Cali, Warren Shaw, we appreciate you guys. You know we do, and we'll catch up with you next time.